Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is part of the devotional series on the Sermon on the Mount I taught for Sojourn East. Okay, welcome back. Uh, Going along in our devotions on the Sermon on the Mount, we are now to chapter 5, starting in verse 17. Now, I'm going to handle a lot of verses in just two of these little video segments or audio segments, whatever you're listening to it. I'm going to handle 517 through 32 in one of them. And then the next one, I'll handle 533 through 48. Now, there's a lot of details in there I'm not going to be able to get into, but I I want to give this overview picture of what's happening. In fact, maybe I would refer back to, I preached a sermon on this uh, some, some time ago at Sojourn East. You could probably find that if you wanted some more details or another version of it. Um, But let me, let me jump into 517 to 20. These verses are very, very important. Uh, All the Sermon on the Mount's important, but these verses are really at the heart. In fact, I would say that these verses are the thesis statement. They are the, like the, the big idea of the Sermon on the Mount as a sermon or as a research paper. It's the, this is the thesis statement. Let me read them for you from the NIV here, 517 to 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, Jesus says, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whatever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses, is greater than that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, believe me, there is so much in there. I I feel overwhelmed to even step into these verses because, uh, and I've written a whole book on the Sermon on the Mount, and I still feel very overwhelmed that I teach these all the time. So I'll have to be very brief uh, for your sake about what's going on here. But let me just first, let me just highlight some things from these verses. First of all, Jesus is addressing head on how his teaching and how his life and how his yoke relates to the great teachings of the Torah, of the, of the Hebrew scriptures, of the Jewish scriptures. And he's saying, I'm not overturning, I'm not abolishing all that God said in the books of Moses and in the prophets. I'm not overturning them, but he is fulfilling them, which means there's going to be both continuity. He's going to affirm the true essence and sense of what God has always said in the Old Testament, and he's going to transform them. There's going to be discontinuity because he is now the true revelation of God. He's not only a teacher, he is the incarnation of God himself. Therefore, what he says is the true and final interpretation. And he's bringing about a new era. He's bringing about the new age, the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, which is the beginning of the new age. So that means that he's not abolishing what God said in the past, but he is transforming it. So there's going to be both continuity and discontinuity. And then the other thing, and so that's what he's talking about in verses 18 and 19 as well. And that those statements about being least and greatest in the kingdom, what he's saying is he's the one. What his interpretation of how things are is who determines whether you're in the kingdom or not. That's the basic point of it. But verse 20, then, I need to land there because this is what's going to be unpacked throughout the rest of the sermon. 
He says that you and I, if you want to be our, his disciple, we have to have a righteousness, which is not just talking about a legal declaration. That's something the Apostle Paul talks about. He's talking about the more normal biblical sense of righteousness, actually doing right, actually be doing the will of the Father. He says you and I have to have a righteousness, an actual um, real person behavior that accords to God's will and nature that is actually more than the Pharisees and scribes. Now, what's shocking about that is that we always have to remember the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or the scribes those are the good guys in Jesus' day. That is, they are the super conservatives. They believe in inerrancy. They believe in the whole Bible. They study the Bible. They memorize the Bible. They teach the Bible. Um, they teach their children. They have, they have pray all the time. They fast. They do all these things. These are the conservatives of the day. And so Jesus says to his ragtag band of fishermen and prostitutes and tax collectors like Matthew, you need to be more righteous than them. So what in the world could he mean? And again, he's, I guarantee you, he's not talking about the separate issue that the Apostle Paul will talk about, about imputed righteousness. That's also true. We need God's righteousness given to it. Here he's using, again, the more normal biblical sense of doing what is right. So what in the world could he mean? Well, what happens in the next, the whole rest of the sermon, basically, up through chapter 7, verse 12, but especially in these next several examples, he's going to give six examples of what greater righteousness looks like. And let me just say something about the first three, and then we'll pick up with the next three in the next video. Murder, adultery, and divorce. So he tackles head-on these three big real issues in our lives in verses 521 through 32. And if you read them, which I encourage you to do, maybe stop the video and, or stop the audio and listen to them or, or read them, I should say, or go back afterwards, what you'll see is there's a consistent theme in these three examples. In every one, He's addressing the heart. He's saying that there is an external behavior that can be good or bad. Murder is bad. Not murdering is good. Um, adultery is bad. Not committing adultery is good. Being faithful to your wife not or husband, not divorcing is good. Uh, divorcing is bad. So in every case, there's a behavior involved. But he's saying that if you only have the behavior without paying attention to your heart, to what's actually going on inside of you, then you actually only have the lower righteousness. You only have the righteousness that is actually not what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. He says, I'm glad you don't murder. You shouldn't murder. Murder is bad. But are you filled with hatred and resentment and bitterness in your heart towards someone else? I'm glad you haven't committed adultery. And the Pharisees and scribes, they weren't committing adultery. They were good, upstanding people. But he said, is your heart full of lust? Are you, whether it's pornography or just imaginings in your mind about being with some other husband or wife who might be so much nicer to you or so much um, better in whatever ways. And divorce as well is, is also the issue of, of the heart because divorce doesn't happen over overnight, right? Divorce is a series of thousands of little choices that husbands and or wives make to shut off their hearts towards each other. The point is that in every case, Jesus is saying there's a righteousness that's greater than merely external, and it's paying attention to what's going on inside of you. These three examples are part of six examples, are part of the bigger teaching of the sermon of what the greater righteousness looks like. And if you go back to the introductory um, notes I made, this is where the greater righteousness and the wholeness fits together. The greater righteousness that's required to be a disciple is not you and me trying harder to earn our favor with God. 
it's starting to pay attention to what's going on inside of us. It's not being content to just focus on the outside. It's not being content to just do outwardly good things, whitewashed tombs, as he will say later in chapter 23. It's actually the greater righteousness is coming to a place of wholeness where your inside and your outside match. That your outside behavior is good, but it's also oriented and you pay attention to what's going on on the inside. And this is the challenge and this is the invitation that Jesus starts off here in the, this main teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.